You might know what to say, but have you found the right voice? On today's show, the strategies to consider to ensure your voice aligns with your message. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 220. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to develop your leadership skills. And I am so glad to have you back again this week, or perhaps even joining the conversation for the first time for the weekly show. And as you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, I'm a big believer in communication. There are many conversations we've had on this uh, show in the past around communication, most recently with Michael Port and talking about how to steal the show as a presenter. And that's why I'm really uh, thrilled to have today's guest with me as well to be able to continue some of that conversation, but also to get into some of the details around the communication essence of it and the the vocal delivery that we use in our conversations and our presentations. And that's something that we really have not hit on very much, at least not directly in the show before. And that's why I'm really excited to welcome Laura Sicola. Uh, Laura's primary focus at Vocal Impact Productions, uh, which is her organization, is in leadership communication and vocal executive presence. Her clients include the U.S. Department of Commerce, Comcast, Vanguard, and also women's initiatives such as the Women's Innovation Network on Capitol Hill and Women Against Abuse. She was previously on the faculty at the University of Pennsylvania for 12 years, where she also got her Ph.D. in linguistics and education. And she's also a speech coach and mentor for the TED Fellows Program. Yes, those are the people who do the TED Talks. And she started her career originally as a public school teacher in South Central Los Angeles. And she says uh, on her website, after that, no audience intimidates her anymore. Laura, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Well, before we get into talking about vocal executive presence and and the work that you've done, I, I'm just so fascinated on what we can learn from your experience. Let's actually go back to South Central Los Angeles. Okay, what did you what did you learn? That that's a tough audience. Probably some of the toughest audiences in the world are in the public school system, and especially in the inner city. What did sure. you learn from the students there that's taken you um, further in your career and still helps you today and how you approach communication? Oh, all sorts of things. Um, you're absolutely right that that's just about one of the toughest audiences you're ever going to encounter. You know, there's a few things that I think are particularly relevant. Number one is that in teaching, your best skill is flexibility because you can plan until the cows come home. And then the minute you walk in the door, within 30 seconds, something could occur that's gonna blow all of your plans out of the water. So how do you roll with the unexpected? That's a really big one. And um, another one that matters in particular is that you have to know your audience because if you can't figure out how to make your content relevant to that particular listener, you've lost them in 30 seconds. And it really, and unlike a more corporate professional audience, if you lose them, they'll just start looking at their iPhones, right? So they'll, they'll be bored in the, in the boardroom, but they won't necessarily be overtly disrespectful. 
you lose a group of students in a public school inner city classroom and they're all over you. You lose control altogether. So if you plan on getting anything done, you really have to find a way to connect with them and make them understand why this matters and how to do it. And even though it's such a different environment, those those two things so relevant to yes. the business world and organizations as far as being relevant, connecting with people, you know, gosh, lessons that I think all of us can benefit from. And this actually leads me to one of the things I, I we had talked about when you and I first got connected was just how you approach your work and the work you do. And we've had many executive coaches on the show before that have been really great teachers to us and and how to make decisions and strategy and how to think about leadership. Uh, but you make a distinction between executive coach and executive communications coach, which is what you do. And I'm wondering if you could articulate the distinction between those two so we can appreciate how we should be listening for the value that you add and what you'll be teaching us today. Sure. The In general, an executive coach is going to help you with your work from a strategic perspective. They're going to help you make all of those crucial business decisions with regard to anything from the finances to team building or whatever it is that your job focuses around. For me, as the executive communications coach, I'm not going to help you make any of those decisions. But when you've made them, then you come to me and we're going to work on how to deliver that message, how to articulate the the real core value, the core proposition in a way that's going to get the buy-in that you need from whoever your target audience is in order to help get people around you to execute the way you want to execute. You have to be able to get things done and that won't happen no matter how good your plans are if you can't really convey them to people in a way that they get it. That's why I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it, it strikes me that the element of communication broadly and then our our vocal delivery and our presentation delivery is such a key skill set and competency for leaders because there's just such an important part of leadership that is about once the vision is established of being able to communicate that vision where we're going and sometimes we don't we don't think about that nearly as much as, as we should. And it, it was interesting to me when you and I first talked that a lot of executive leaders, I, I would say virtually most of all the people who are in the professional world, don't really know how they hear or how they show up or they don't really have a sense of yes. how they appear. Tell me more about that. Of when, when you're starting work with someone, how do you even begin to approach that or address that? Oh, it's it's well, you couldn't have said it better. Most people are painfully oblivious to how they actually sound or look or in general come across when they communicate. And um, it's funny because when you, the, the best evidence I can offer is whenever you hear yourself maybe on a voicemail recording or you catch yourself, somebody caught you on a little video or you do a recording of something, what's the first response that comes to mind? Oh my God, is that really what I sound like? No, that's not me. Is it? That's not, there's denial or there's surprise. And you, at the same time, don't you hear yourself speaking every day of your life? Wouldn't yeah. you think you would know what you sound like? And yet when you hear yourself on a recording, there's this like shock and awe moment <laughs> that just shows you that you really don't realize how things come across in the, in the moment that you're speaking compared to how you do later on when you hear it from that almost third party perspective. So 
that's the first thing that we really have to take care of. We're going to do some recordings and we're going to listen for different things based on what your goals are. You know, people come to me with different challenges. Some of them need confidence when they're speaking in front of a, a higher up kind of an audience or a larger group. Uh, some people are more on the emotional elevator. They're the super high, you know, high energy or easy triggered, easily triggered people where whatever it is that you say could set them off and they go into screaming mode. They don't know that they go into screaming mode. They have no idea that they sound like they're screaming. So, you know, we try to come up with some of these scenarios to get a baseline recording of what do you actually sound like mm-hmm. relative to what do you want to sound like? What qualities do you want people to see in you? And then where's the gap between that desired image and what's what you're actually hearing and then we go from there to try to figure out how to close that gap it seems really obvious apparent from a data point that you'd want to know where you're starting from and and yet i've had the same experience you have at laura and i've done some presentation coaching not early as much as you have and i've found i've i've learned over the years that it really takes time to give people the space to get comfortable with seeing themselves on video or hearing themselves on audio. And in fact, of sometimes taking an entire section of a course or a program just to get people comfortable with that that baseline, mm-hmm. where am I starting from? And, and, and you, I think, point out that that's an important thing to do. And, and I'm wondering, what are what's maybe a time or situation that you've run into where someone has struggled with that and what have what have you found that's helpful for someone to, or for people to move through that in order to become a little more comfortable with hearing themselves or seeing themselves on video well it depends on the nature of the discomfort in some ways you know there are those who are just pathologically shy or self-conscious and so we then really have to sort of approach that gingerly, but that's that's more the exception than the rule. Most people have seen themselves, have heard themselves, especially in this day and age with the smartphone where you're on video every time you turn around, you know, somebody's shooting you, blowing out your birthday candles or whatever it is. So I think people are a little bit more used to being recorded audio or video. They don't necessarily like it, but it's not as much of a shock. In some ways, just making light of it and taking out the the super seriousness of the moment can help to overcome that initial, that initial um, mental block against it or discomfort. So for example, I'll tell my clients when they make their first video, they're allowed to quote, assume the position when they watch it, which is to put their hands over their face and peek through their fingers. Like (laughs) you do when you're watching a horror movie kind of a thing. And uh, you know, usually it elicits a laugh and some of them will actually do it just for the sake of, being a little silly about it, but at the same time, okay, I'm going to watch this and this is my way of saying, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. That's awesome. Um, So it's just, you know, you lighten the mood a little bit where you can without taking away the inherent value of what you're doing. And if nothing else, you can also, there's no reason that you need to start with the heaviest topic. You can start by doing something like, tell me what you ate for breakfast. Mm. Tell me what you are, what's on your agenda for today. There's lots of little things that you can do just as warm-ups to get used to the, to seeing yourself, get over whatever your hair is doing for the day, get over the fact that you didn't put on enough lipstick, get over, you know, whatever little details there are that are going to be distractors on the video. And, or for that matter, don't do video, depending on what we're looking for, just do audio. So you don't get distracted by all those things. 
Uh, you know, you really have to think about what's your purpose in doing this and then find a way to isolate that. Well, and I like what you've mentioned here. I think there's even a broader leadership lesson and beyond just the the delivery lesson is if something's going to be difficult, if acknowledge it up front uh, from a leadership standpoint, whether it's you're working with someone as a coach or you're developing an employee of acknowledge that something is uncomfortable and then you know maybe bring in some humor, make light of it, start in a small way and then you you give people permission to say, okay, I, I'm a human being and I don't like watching myself on video or I don't like I don't like hearing my own voice. And it's almost like you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is human, this is experience. And it just it moves you past that a little faster than it does mm-hmm. if you just throw someone to the wolves, as the saying goes. Right. Right. And similarly, just like when you're trying to teach someone to play the piano, you're going to start with scales and basic little individual notes before you expect them to get to the sonata. So you're going to work with them in speech the same way, getting used to little variables, getting used to little strategies on simple topics and simple whatever, so they can isolate the variable, simply put. And when you start to be able to hear what you're doing with your voice, with your speed, with your art, the number of ums that you're using when you're talking about something simple, then you can worry about what's going to happen later on when you do your budget proposal. Well, this is really good because I have not done a lot of thinking on how voice comes across. And I've probably thought about it more than most being a podcaster and having done presentation coaching in the past. And I suspect that for most leaders and executives, that this is not something that's that they've spent a lot of time, if any, thinking about. And I'm wondering if if maybe you can help us just to lay a roadmap or um, I know you use an analogy of a prism as far as communication of, of what are some things that we can start with when we're thinking about how we can use our voice and how we're getting our message across that will help to resonate more with our audience? Sure. Well, when you think about people that you have to listen to on a regular basis, typically somebody that you choose to listen to regularly, a podcaster, for example, or anyone else for that matter, there's something about the way that they communicate that both speaks to you in their content, you appreciate what they have to say, but you also like the sound of the voice, right? You're, you're not likely going to tune into a podcast that's an hour long and narrated by Gilbert Gottfried. Right on a daily basis. You know, after about two and a half minutes, you're like, wow, turn it off. I don't care if he's a genius. I can't listen to this anymore. So there are ways to play with the delivery in a way that will sound more pleasing to those who are listening. And it's not to say that you're acting. And this is where, you know, I think Michael Port, who's a genius, and I are different in our approaches because he comes out of the acting world. And I, you don't give me a script. You will be very disappointed with the results. You don't right. want me on a stage that way. But you know, I'm coming at it as a linguist. And it's in looking at the cognitive and the psychological effects that the voice has on the listener. So the way that I'm talking to you now, in this is my sort of professional, I'm having a professional discussion with somebody voice, very different from the way I would speak to my little nieces and nephews who are all you know, elementary school and below. You can't talk to them like this. They'd stop playing with you in 30 seconds flat, right? And similarly, I'm not going to talk to you the way I talk to them because you'll think I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking the same thing because I have, we have young kids at home. I talk to them 
uh, respectfully and at their level, of course, but in a very different way than I'd have a conversation with an adult because of matching the 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 tone of voice, the language that's going to be appropriate for that audience, for right. lack of a better and term. When you think about those two different groups, would you say that one of those is the real you and one of them is you faking it? No, not at all. Just different contexts of who I'm trying to connect with. Right. And that's the whole point. So when when I'm working with people on learning to expand their um, their speech repertoire, their vocal repertoire, one of the concerns that people will sometimes express, especially women in minorities, but sometimes uh, others as well, is the concern of feeling like they have to put on an act or they have to fake it or be someone they're not or communicate in a style that is not authentic to themselves in order to be accepted by this other audience. So what I'm trying to help people see is that you already have the entire range of speech styles available to you. They're already a part of who you are. It's just a matter of learning to tap into ones that you don't typically use in a certain context and reappropriate them when when necessary. So that's where you mentioned my analogy that I call the prismatic voice. So that when you think about the white light that passes through a prism and then you see the rainbow come out the other side with all the colors that make up that white light, you are white light. And you have all of these different personality characteristics and all these different speech styles that you do subconsciously draw on at different times, right? So if you were thinking about your podcaster style, you might call that your green or call that your orange or whatever color you like. And then you think about your the way that you speak to your kids at home and maybe that's your blue or your yellow. And that's great. And so when you need to then talk to this new audience, whoever they happen to be, maybe you feel like, well, by default as professional, so I'm gonna be blue. And for whatever reason, it's just not working. It's not resonating with them. And then you start to learn more about them and you realize, oh, they actually feel like you're too stiff. You're too academic. You're too whatever it is. You need to loosen up. You need to be a little more human with them. You need to be a little more approachable. Okay. So that might be a good time to tap into some of the qualities that you do naturally use with your kids. You need to tap into that yellow or whatever color you would assign to it to say, okay, I can be fun. I can be friendly. I can be approachable. Let me pull some of that in. It doesn't necessarily feel natural because I'm not used to doing it in this other context, but to recognize that it is already part of me. I just have to draw from that other context and replace it in the new one. So that's where you learn to expand your, your communication identity, basically. I'm thinking, as you were saying that, about an executive leader I worked with in the past, Lauren, I'm sure you have many examples of this as well, where they were their uh, personality, their default setting, for lack of a better term, was to Mm -hmm. be very fun and very playful. That was just how they approached the world and Mm -hmm. how they liked to interact with people. And people really loved that about that person. And yet they were an executive leader in a very large, very conservative, very traditional organization that didn't necessarily resonate with that as much and sometimes even were off put by that occasionally. And yes. and and while this person was incredibly talented, very very knowledgeable, very well-respected thinker, the perception sometimes was that they didn't have the leadership or the executive presence just because they didn't look like and sound like a lot of the other executive leaders. And <clears throat> it was interesting when that person made that shift to change the color, as you say, 
it it almost changed overnight. Like just the yeah. kind of conversation that was happening. And it wasn't that it wasn't them. It was just they were choosing a different way to communicate with the audience that was still who they were, but just tapping into a different style and a different looking through it with through a different lens. And it made all the difference. Exactly. And they were able to do it almost overnight, as you said, because they're not trying to learn some new style and trying to be somebody else. They're just realizing, okay, I already do this in this other place. So of course I can just turn it on in a new context. That's exactly why it works. It's a, so much of a mindset shift. Yeah. And it w- and I think the thing that I remember they struggled with when we were talking about it is, well, if I do this, can I no longer be the fun, playful person that I want to be? And I remember us having that conversation at the time and saying, no, like, so you you are still that person. Of course, you're that person. Be that person in all those contexts of those places that that works and that that helps you to communicate. It's just that in this one situation or these particular meetings where you're in with the executive team, that's where you bring the executive voice in. And I don't remember what we called it at the time, but it's exactly what you said. If it's all part of who you are, it's not that you're setting one aside. It's just you're you're choosing a different voice depending on the context of the situation that's going to serve that audience. Right, right. And when I use the term voice, I mean both literally and figuratively, both the, the physical sound of the articulation as the words are coming out of your mouth, but also your choice of words, the way you frame an argument, um, your approach, your perspective, all of that is is your metaphorical voice. And both of those have to gel. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. That's really the key. I mean, I've worked with people, whether it's a matter of, for example, I worked with a, a young woman, I would say early thirties, probably upper manager. And she, they wanted me to work with her because she's very smart but just seemed to lack personality, just sort of very flat and not particularly approachable in many ways. And she just felt like, well, I'm a young woman and I'm working with a lot of older guys in a tech field and male dominated area and whatnot. You know, I need them to know that I'm smart and I'm serious and I'm as good at my job as they are and whatnot. And she did that very well, but it was overcompensating to the point where it was making her unlikable. And while you sort of want to feel like you've graduated from high school and the likability popularity contest doesn't matter anymore, but you still have to be able to connect. You have to be able to relate to somebody. You you want to feel like it's a good personality or a chemistry combination that you're with people you're working with. I've also had the challenge with people who are from other cultures, Indian backgrounds, Latin American backgrounds, etc., where, for example, the natural cultural, and of course I'm, I'm generalizing, but overall in Spanish or in Hindi, et cetera, it's very natural to want to provide a lot of background information first before you get to ultimately your conclusion. But when you're speaking to a C-level audience, they don't care. They want you to jump right to the bullet point and they'll either buy it or they don't. And if they don't buy it, then they'll ask you for whatever background details they want to help them understand why you came to your conclusion. But they do not want you to give them all that background stuff first. And it's incredibly culturally frustrating for people who feel like, well, but you can't understand the why unless you understand the background. So we have to work with them on a way to communicate more efficiently in a way that this audience will be open to hearing their message while still retaining a sense of your your cultural identity. 
And I was, I was thinking as you were saying that, that when I've worked with people before where this is a challenge, they seem to get very, what's the word I would use? Unhelpful feedback or very nonspecific mm-hmm. feedback from yes. colleagues or for senior managers. If they're not, if they are not choosing the right voice is they'll hear things like, well, you're you're just not the right fit yet, or we want you to work on your presence or your voice, or there's something that sounds very vague. And they they come to someone like you or me and they say, well, I'm, I, I don't really know what to do with this feedback. It just seems very unhelpful. And <laughs> often I found, not always, but often I found that it comes down to something like this. It's the, how are you showing up and what voice are you using in those contexts and those yeah. situations? And it's, and it's, it's almost like, I think sometimes even those other those peers and those the managers they don't even know necessarily how to articulate exactly. what it is that they're not hearing they don't they they can't give it words it's but they know something's not right, right. and they want you to change it right right exactly and it's so funny because I would say ninety five percent of the time somebody will call me because they want me to work with one of their up and comings or work with whoever it is and they'll they'll. So I'll say, well, what's the challenge? And they always say the exact same thing. Well, they're just, they're not very good communicators. Mm. Okay. Well, in what sense are they not a very good communicator? Well, you know, he just, he doesn't communicate very well. Oh, thank you for that clarity. Yes. (laughs) I've had the same conversation. And they just, they know that something's missing, but they just can't put their finger on it. And one of the challenges that, that I often hear that's completely misplaced, especially if the person I'm being uh, hired to work with is a non-native English speaker, whether regardless of where they're from, what tends to get scapegoated as the reason for them not being a quote-unquote good communicator is the accent. And yes, there may be an accent, and sometimes there may be, you know, pronunciation errors that do cause a miscommunication. Ninety-something percent of the time, that's not the problem that there's so many other underlying reasons, whether it's because they don't get to the point and they're too roundabout in their explanation so you get lost, or the, they're not direct enough because they don't want to um, be disrespectful to the person who's above them so they don't want to contradict in public, or there, there's so many other underlying elements that get in the way of being what any unique audience would consider, quote, good communication that they just don't know what to look for. So it's not until I have a chance to do a diagnostic, uh, kind of a 360 with different people that, and with the person him or herself, then I can go, oh, all right, yes. Okay, so here are the range of issues that are all coming together as a constellation of sorts that are standing in your way of really maximizing your success. Pronunciation may or may not be one of them, but it's ultimately what gets blamed for not being effective in communication because it's the one thing people can easily spot. I know you mentioned to me when we first talked that there's three areas you often will start from with clients when you're working with them of speed of their of their 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 speaking, the volume level and of pauses. And I'm wondering if we could look at each one of those areas and for someone who's maybe thinking of this for the first time, what are just some 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 foundational things we should be keeping in mind with those three things? Sure, all three of them. The speed and pausing tend to go hand in hand, uh, so we'll, we'll look at those together. And then the the volume. You know, when you think about it, if you if someone's speaking so softly that you can't hear them, it doesn't matter 
how brilliant of a point they're going to make. You can't hear it. It's like watching a movie with the sound off or on mute. So you, those people who have a softer voice do need to make sure that they're speaking up loudly enough so that everybody else can hear them, not just the person who's sitting right in front of you. Now, there are some speakers who deliberately talk in a very soft voice because they want the audience to put effort into listening. They feel like that engages the audience. I personally think that's obnoxious. Uh, you know, it's the audience is going to work to understand what you're saying. Don't make them work to even hear it, mm. especially because now you're competing with cell phones. You're competing with Facebook, email, text messages, whatever else that's coming in. If people have to work not only to understand you, but they have to work to he even hear you in the first place, most people will decide that it's just not worth the effort. So you do need to make sure that you're respecting the audience and saying, I believe that what I have to offer is important enough that I want to make sure you hear it. And so you speak loudly enough that those in the back of the room or at the far end of the table can hear you without straining. What's kind of sad is that in so many of those situations, when someone is speaking too softly and people in the back can't hear them, they won't say, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I can't hear you. So the message is that the speaker is saying, I don't think my information is important enough to make sure that you hear it. And then the people's response is, we agree with you. Because if we thought what you had to say was that important, we'd make sure that you spoke up. And and it's been my experience, Laura, and I'm wondering if it's for, for you too, that almost always on volume, people err on the it's too soft. I've, I've rarely run into someone who's too loud. It's that they're too soft. People can't hear them in the back of the room. Do you run into that as well? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's definitely kind of a 10 to one ratio of sorts for those who are on the other side who are just stentorian by birth. They were born with a voice like a cannon. They don't even realize that they're talking as loudly as they are. That is something that does need, they do need equal awareness because that's very off-putting. Nobody wants to feel like they're being screamed at. It, you know, if you, was it the old Bose advertisements or something where you'd see the guy sitting in the recliner with the speaker in front of him and his hair's all blowing back, that yeah. kind of thing. That, that's not the experience you want to have in a boardroom. So, you know, nobody wants to feel like there's this wall of sound coming at them. And so that that's part of the awareness of your environment and part of the awareness of the topic, the nature of, of the sensitivity of the issue, et cetera. So being too loud is is just as off-putting, but it it does not share the problem of being inaudible. Yeah, and that's where the uh, the how you show up in those those different pris the prism we talked about as far as mm -hmm. what kind of different colors how you show up in in, a, in a, the way that's authentic to the audience in that situation so like makes a lot of sense and so right. and and speed and and pausing of course as you mentioned go together how do you right. uh, where do people are in that and what are some base things you really coach people on to be thinking of when when they're considering those areas um, again sort of a ten to one ratio. If speed is an issue, people talk too fast. Whether they're native speakers or non-native speakers, most people, when they get on a roll and they're going through their points or there's a time pressure, you have 10 more minutes to finish the meeting and two pages of notes to get through or 15 slides still, et cetera, they tend to blow through a mile a minute. And at that point, and by the way, this is with full confession, you know, I'm a Jersey Italian. So we are pre-programmed to speak at twice the speed of light when we get going. So I, I know that I am definitely someone who has to monitor speed, especially when I'm talking about something that's more high tech or at least more complicated. If I'm speaking to people who have less 
background knowledge about the particular issue, you know, depending on the nature of the audience, you have to adjust accordingly. So the, the more technical the topic and or the less background knowledge that the audience already has on the topic, the slower you have to go just to give them time to process what you're talking about. What's obvious and intuitive and simple to you is not simple and obvious and intuitive and easy to process for the listener, especially when you're throwing an hour worth of content at them all at the same time. And after all, that's why we're there as the presenter is we have an expertise or an experience or a knowledge of something that the audience doesn't. And so I love love the way you frame that as far as the more complicated, the more technical it is, the more time we need to take to make sure that we're getting that connection and it's landing with the audience effectively. Correct. And that's where pausing also comes in. It's, It's not just about slowing down the overall rate of your speech, but... More importantly, of course, while you don't want to go like speed racer through the whole thing, you do want to make sure that after you've made an important point that you pause, let it sink in, let their brains catch up with their ears, then move on for the next point. That's a key to allowing people to to keep up with you. Well, speaking of the next point, there's so much here we could discuss, and I really appreciate you raising our awareness on just how we bring in our presence, our voice, the speed, the volume. I think those are the kinds of things that we don't tend to think about until we start working with someone like you, Laura, and starting to think about how we can do that more effectively. And since we obviously can't hit everything here in the show, you've made available to our listening community a resource that will get people started on taking action on some of these areas and then go into a lot more depth that's available for free. So thank you in advance for offering this. Uh, would you tell our audience about uh, what you've made available to folks and how they can get access to it? Absolutely. So what I am offering, I have an audio program that's available on the shop page of my website. It's called Discovering Your Leadership Voice. And it is a uh, there's an MP3 program that's about 75 minutes long. And there is a Um, a 15 page companion workbook that goes along with it. And so what I'm offering is you get the workbook for free and there's a download. If you go to my website, which is www.vocalimpactproductions.com slash coaching for leaders. So if you go to the coaching for leaders page on my website, you'll find a link to the free download for that, uh, for that workbook. If you like it, of course, then you can go and take another look If you want to go and um, listen to the MP3 afterwards, that'll be up to you. But the workbook is there and there's lots of exercises in it, lots of things for you to do, to write, to record, to listen to, et cetera, that will help you really get a clear understanding of what your voice really sounds like relative to how you want it to sound. Well, I really appreciate you making that available to us, Laura, because this is, uh, to our point from earlier, is this is territory that I think a lot of us get a little funny about just because of human nature, you know, when we're recording ourselves or seeing ourselves on video. And I think that because of that, it's a, it's a, it's a territory that a lot of us don't venture into unless we've ever taken a formal presentations course or worked with a, an executive communications coach. And so the framework here and just the path that the workbook will help you to follow is you yep. can really get in and do a lot on your own. And for those of you who find that that's really helpful 
and want to do more with it, I really encourage you to check out Laura's course that's online too, or maybe even make contact with her directly because as she mentioned, you know, the big part of leadership is setting that vision, the strategy, but then a big part of it as well is how do you communicate that and communicating it well makes all the difference in how well that strategy is executed. So I think you, uh, I think you're giving us a, a tool here, Laura, that will really help us to examine an area we haven't talked a lot about on the show. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Laura Sicola is from Vocal Impact Productions. And again, check it out at vocalimpactproductions.com slash coaching for leaders. And we will have that link on the show notes as well for those of you who get the leadership guide on Wednesdays. A big thanks again to Laura for providing that workbook available to the community for free. And you can get that again at vocalimpactproductions.com slash coaching for leaders. And of course, that link will be in the show notes and on the leadership guide coming on Wednesday for those of you who received that. So watch for that in your inbox on Wednesday. As always, if you have comments or questions on this episode specifically, go to coachingforleaders.com slash 220. That'll take you to the show notes as well. And uh, by the way, upgraded version of the show notes in the last couple of weeks. Uh, We now have a podcast producer, our good friend Andrew, who is working tirelessly to do the audio post-production and the notes for the shows. And that has freed up a bit of my time. And Andrew is also doing a way better job at the notes than I was. So if you haven't looked in a bit, definitely go check those out. Uh, always can get to them for any episode just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Speaking of the episode numbers, the next show is episode 221. That's the Q&A show coming up the first Monday of the month. And if you would like to submit a question for Bonnie and I to consider for the Q&A show either next week or for a future one, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback and you can submit your question right there. Always love hearing questions from the community and being able to consider those for the show. It's uh, fun to get to respond to those each month and also hear what's going on for you. And it uh, really does inform the decisions that I make as far as what guests to bring on the show, what topics to hit. Hearing those questions is really helpful, uh, not only uh, to you, as I've heard, but also to me, too, in uh, being able to make choices about content for the show. So thanks in advance if you decide to do that. And a reminder, please join the weekly leadership guide. It comes to your inbox on Wednesdays and includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, and books. Uh, Once in a while, there's an article there, too, to support your development between the shows. And every week, it'll include a brief overview and link to the full weekly show notes, as it will this week. And when you join the Weekly Leadership Guide, you will get immediate access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others with brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. You can download that 11-page reader's guide and nine-minute video of those book recommendations, plus uh, insight on the two books that I rely on weekly. So if that sounds of value to you, Go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And uh, thank you to three people around the world this week. Thank you to Peter Simoons in the Netherlands, Raz Mag in Canada, and M. Chagranis here in the States for the kind reviews you left on iTunes. Thank you to all three of you. I really appreciate it a ton. Boy, it just makes my day each time to 
read one of those reviews that gets posted. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve this community each week. And I, I just have a blast doing the show. So I'm so excited that it's been helpful to so many of you. So thanks again. Have a great week and look forward to talking with you for the Q&A show next week. Take care.